0: This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate podcast.
1: We bought the thing uh, using someone else's money. We fixed it up using someone else's money. Um, we rented it out and then we ended up refinancing it. And that gentleman that lent me the money uh, was a property manager slash hard money lender of ours that we actually found on Bigger Pockets. He said, Look, man, you're the one making all the money here. I don't want to lend you money. I don't want to manage your properties. I just want you to sell stuff to me. Would you consider selling, you know, the next property you find to me if it's not something that you want to keep?
0: You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business what's up guys this is jonathan farber host of the millennial millionaire through real estate podcast This show is all about achieving financial freedom as fast as possible so you can do whatever makes you happy in life. For me, that vehicle was real estate and it's how I achieved financial freedom at 27. If you wanna know how I got started, my journey is presented in a YouTube video posted in the show notes and I post daily in our private Facebook group about my favorite topics and day-to-day strategies. I appreciate you guys being here and let's get started. Oh, by the way, reach out if you ever need help. I try to keep my calendar open to talk to anyone that needs it or has any quick questions. See you guys guys. Talk to you later. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know, and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team. Listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing, welcome kit creation, listing, advertising, and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the form, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What's going on, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Evan Manship. Evan is a recommendation from Rob Bergeron, so you know it's already going to be a good one. But um, just a seriously sick episode today. He scaled one of the fastest businesses maybe we've had on the show in in terms of uh, employees, in terms of building actual infrastructure in the business, which is real estate wholesaling. That's mainly what he's doing. But he only started in 13 or 14 with one single-family house that he bought with his brother. And now they're doing about 500 deals a year. They've done over 2,000. And in addition to that, he's got some rentals. He owns about 15 units free and clear. But ultimately, he's just kind of taking over the Midwest from a wholesale standpoint, starting in Indy, but now moving into Cincinnati, Louisville, and just scaling a business that has been really, really successful. So we get into all the nuts and bolts of how he started, how he scaled his wholesale business, how much money he is making, how much money he thinks people can make. Kind of just going through kind of what deals look like and then we get into the version of it if he was starting again as a beginner with nothing or 500 bucks out of college living with his parents how would he start over in the wholesale game today kind of going through where he's at and then how he would start over it's kind of a cool side by side and uh, just dig into everything in between relationships and tactics on showing properties and how you price properties and how you kind of build out infrastructure so a lot of good ones in this if you're thinking about getting started in wholesaling but also, if you're just thinking about scaling and operating your business to run in a professional way so that you kind of have quality of life and time back, because you know, Evan talks about a little bit. He's got his time back. You know, he's hired people, he's got operations, and he did an office tour for me actually at the end of the episode, which we'll probably have to do as a separate episode, but um, or a separate piece of content. But it's really cool what he's grown this into. It's a sick office. So I think you guys are gonna get tons of value out of this. The main learning I had from this is. Going to meetups is still so underrated, um, and I mean that from the sense of finding buyers for your deals, finding mentors, finding money for your deals. If you go to real estate meetups, they can be in person or virtual. Um, it can make such a difference. So Evan talked about it, how now he hosts multiple meetups a month through his company, and how they're consistently finding deals and buyers from these meetups, which those are the two hardest things to find in real estate at the moment. So he's finding a little hack within that, and you don't hear people talking about that as much as you used to because of COVID today's tangible tip you guys may have seen i have been playing around on tiktok a lot more Um, if not check me out there i will give you guys a little goodie for following or commenting on last video doing some giveaways there but um content is the game if you want to get your brand out there and your name out there and i know it's uncomfortable especially you know for people that are more introverted i felt very uncomfortable at the beginning but It's so easy to grow on there compared to Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. Um, You can just get a lot of attention and a lot of views. And it doesn't take a lot to have one or two viral videos as a beginner, which is wild considering you can't get that on the other platform. My tangible tip would be download TikTok today, start following some business accounts, start following some real estate accounts, and then start creating content to grow your personal brand or your company's brand. You will be amazed at what could happen on that. So I know it's a little awkward and a little outside your comfort zone, but I recommend giving it a try and seeing what happens. All right, guys, without any further ado, awesome episode today with Evan Manship. Evan, what's going on, man? Welcome to the show. How are you?
1: Dude, Thanks for having me, Mr. TikTok famous. I'm just happy to be in your presence, bro. Are you on TikTok? I was after I saw you. I was like, God, if this guy can do it. Anyone can do it. No, uh, dude, that's I, I four wiped.
0: weeks. That's four weeks. A hundred G's.
1: I've, uh, we got, we got into it. I don't know. A couple weeks ago, whatever. Maybe we got a, our media guy downstairs kind of marched up one day and was like, why are, why are we not doing this? So, uh, follow us mainstay property group at mainstay PG. Yeah. It's, uh, you'll laugh it's nothing crazy
0: what are you doing on there dancing it or what
1: no dancing i'm not pretty enough to be doing that uh no just trying to you know same story just trying to open up different ways for uh real estate folks people to really people that have been, been thinking about getting into it and uh just showing them that there's value all over the place whether you're on the west coast east coast or right here in the hillbilly midwest there's a uh, there's value all over the, the all over the place and plenty of money to be had so for sure planting the seed man that's what we're good at
0: for sure. All right. So we we, we can get to TikTok later and social media, but um, I guess a good place to start would be why would anyone watch you on social media and how you became who you are? So, what from a high level, take us back to what got you into real estate? You know, what was your maybe first deal or your beginning deals? And uh, then from a high level, if you could bring us up to speed on what it's turned into.
1: Sure thing. Um, I guess first and foremost, uh, for a lot of folks watching, you know, we have a lot of success with people that. Uh, are, are just getting into it don't know what they don't know and I was in that exact spot uh, eight years ago uh, nine years ago maybe um, but I was a broke uh, 23 year old recent college grad uh, I had a finance uh, degree and knew I wanted to get into real estate I read a book called rich dad poor dad as a piece of required reading in high school which was awesome really and uh, yeah it wasn't like a you know you should read this book it will change your life or you, know, you could learn something from it it was you know we're having a quiz or the cash flow quadrant on thursday type stuff yeah it was crazy so that was in high school yeah so i was like screw it i want to you know i want to step my mom was a math teacher and i liked money so it was like okay i'll do this finance thing so got into finance uh graduated so i want to do something in real estate but i had hundred twenty thousand dollars in student debt and didn't know what i i didn't know so went to a little pretty catholic school xavier university shout out to my musketeers Hmm. and um yeah, I so said, screw it. I'm going to buy a house. I have no idea what I'm doing. I just, Robert Kiyosaki said to start buying. So we started, my, I say we, my twin brother and I, who share our office together.
0: Okay, I um, love it.
1: Uh, bought our first house in 2013. And if you can imagine this, we conventionally financed a house in a very interesting area of Indianapolis. Uh, it was a $28,000 purchase price. It was already leased at 700 bucks. So I think if we, I go back and look, but our mortgage payment was like barely more than what I was paying, like for my light bill at the time. It was like $80 a month uh, for, you know, your payment, your interest, taxes, insurance, everything it was like 80 bucks a month. It was goofy. Um, those days yeah. have long, those are long gone, but uh, that's how we got started. We bought our first house. And so why isn't everyone doing this? You know, it's leased at least 700 bucks. Your outflows 80 or 90 bucks. You know, how many of these can we do as soon as possible? And one led to four, led to eight, led to 16, so on and so forth.
0: Gotcha. And then from a high level, what has the business turned into today? What's what's your day-to-day?
1: Yeah. So uh, I own, operate a group called Mainstay Property Group. We are uh, Indianapolis' biggest wholesale operation. Uh, wholesale is essentially the uh, the guys who go and provide investors with off-market deals. So for 99% of the world, when they want to buy a house, they type in realtor.com or zillow.com and they go to... Uh, the website, click on a house, put in an offer, a very traditional way. Um, Same way you'd go to a grocery store and you'd buy a gallon of milk. You don't want to go and find the cow and milk it yourself. You just want to go to Kroger and pick up a gallon of milk and move on. Um, We do all the, all the milking, all the cow identification, all that type of stuff. And we sell the gallon of milk to, to you guys. So uh, that's what wholesalers do. Um, We wholesale five or 600 properties a year here in Indianapolis. And uh, we got started because in the middle of, Buying our first couple of properties, and we were broke college kids or ex college kids. Um, we had one of our uh, our, our property managers uh, who came up to us and said, "Hey, I really like that house. You know, I'll just buy it from you." And I didn't even know that it was something that people did is buy it for on day one for A and sell it on day two for A plus B. And it's exactly what we did, and it's uh, it changed my life. So we made some quick money. It wasn't a buy and hold, which is what I traditionally like to do, but or thought mm-hmm. I liked to do. Um, But that's how I first learned about wholesaling and it turned into an operation. Um, uh, Now we have 22 people on staff. We're in Indianapolis, now Louisville, Kentucky, and soon to be Cincinnati, Ohio. And uh, we're just trying to start a little empire here in the Midwest. Love it, man.
0: That's awesome. All right. We're going to come back to that because I think scaling is where everyone wants to be. But back to the beginning where I feel like a lot of our listeners are. Maybe trying to figure out where the opportunity is today. But it sounds like what you did at the time was kind of just jump right in. So, was it an on market deal that your first deal and, and, you know, how did you finance it? You know, how did it end up going? I guess you said it also wasn't probably something that could be done today, but is there anything, I guess, from how you did it also that, you know, could be pulled and used today? But I guess just from a high level, how did it go? And maybe if you could tell us some of the details about how you got into it.
1: Yeah. So my, I got into it again, just by sheer luck. Um, you know, the, the market was wildly different in 2013 uh, than it is now. Um, it doesn't take a brain surgeon to under, understand kind of what's been happening. You can read a Twitter article and see that you know real estate is ultra expensive compared to what it was seven or eight years ago. So timing was everything with us. We just got out, we were broke and said, screw it. You know, we're just going to buy a house and, and see what happens, which we could afford to do. Um, back then we conventionally financed a, or $28,000 house, um, which means we went through the traditional process of getting a, getting a mortgage, applying for it, giving them their their pay stubs and all this other stuff. And someone somewhere decided that not only was it okay to lend to a college kid with $120,000 in student debt, but to lend a very trivial amount of money, you know, $24,000, whatever it was at the time to a college kid with no experience. So that's how we got started on our first deal. And, um, it was kind of neat because I, while that happened, I really get to learn about all the other ways that, you know, that was so cumbersome and so time consuming. You know, we kind of, we were our hand was forced into how do people that have hundreds and hundreds of doors, you know, how do they do it? Certainly, they're not saving, 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 putting in a down payment, saving, 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 putting in a down payment. There's no way it's inefficient. So uh, mm. while we did that for the first go, it was really cool because it forced our hand into what we we're going to do on the next, you know, several dozen that we ended up performing on.
0: So did you have a job at the time or did you just go straight into this and say, I'm going full-time real estate?
1: Great question. Um, I did. I did have a job and uh, forgive me if I've not been super transparent. I actually ended up getting a job in in real estate. So I graduated from, from X uh, in 2013 uh, with a finance degree and I told myself, you know, I wanted my first gig to be real estate related. And that was very, um, the longer I went unemployed, the the, the very, the, it became much more vague on what real estate related meant. Um, but I ended up getting my first job. I worked with a tax consulting group here in Indianapolis that did property tax work. So I had a nine-to-five, but uh, I was driving to work early. I was leave the house at like five or six, get to the office at you know, six or seven, and just do my own stuff for an hour, hour and a half, just underwriting deals. You know, flying around looking at you know what's on the market. You know, understanding what property taxes were, how insurance worked, different players in the city. Then I'd stay, you know, after my job concluded at six whatever, you know, I'd stay till eight or whatever every night and then drive home at nine. So I was a college kid. I didn't have any kids or any responsibilities. I was living at home. You know, it wasn't a uh, uh, very heavy lifting for me. I could get away with doing that, but had a job and then just said, screw it. I'm gonna start buying houses and see what happens. And we got really lucky on our first one.
0: Okay. I gotcha. You. So you start buying or you buy that first house. It goes well. Like, what was your progression after that? You know, like a lot of people may have one house listening and they're not sure how to scale that, or they may have a couple and they're running out of money potentially to keep putting down payments down. So what did the progression look like for you after that first house?
1: You're nailing it. That's if you're listening and that's where you're at, that's exactly what happened to us. I mean, to a T. So we bought 1226 Oxford Street in Indianapolis, 46201. Feel free to give that a Google. Um, that was a $28,000 purchase. And we we put our down payment on there. And that was, I, I wish I, I had these numbers in front of me. It was four or five grand that we had to come up with 20% of whatever $28,000 is. Um, but that was all the money in the world to a broke kid, right? So mm-hmm. I was working, 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 saving, saving, saving. I had a business partner, right? So it was two of us doing this together. Uh, to buy this house. And we bought one and we didn't have enough money to take our you know our girlfriends out for drinks or dinner or anything. It was just we were broke living at home. Uh, bought this first house. I said, okay, great. This is and it was performing and it worked and be, And we kind of look at each other like, shit, we gotta save for another you know eight months to get this next one done. So we saved and saved and saved and saved. And in early 2014, we bought our next house, and then we were really out of money, but we had two performing assets. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we went to buy our third. Property, uh, we actually uh, kind of came up with this solution. Like, man, we keep hearing about these people borrowing this hard money thing and this whole like burr method. Like, you buy it and you fix it up. And it wasn't even called the burr method at the time. It was just buy it, then fix it up, make it worth more, take out the money. There was no like books written on it or anything goofy in 2014. Um, but we bought the thing uh, using someone else's money. We fixed it up using someone else's money um, we rented it out and then we ended up refinancing it. And that gentleman that lent me the money, uh, was a property manager slash hard money lender of ours that we actually found on bigger pockets. He said, look, man, you're the one making all the money here. I don't want to lend you money. I don't want to manage your properties. I just want you to sell stuff to me. Would you consider selling, you know, the next property you find to me if it's not something that you want to keep? Mm. So not only did we get our third deal under our belt with none of our own money, but we found our first wholesale deal at the same time. So deal number three was a hard money deal. Uh, that we, we, we bought ourselves and deal four was when we were going to buy ourselves and ended up selling off to someone else.
0: Okay. I gotcha. So at the beginning, it sounds like you had the W-2, but it just sounds like you were really hungry and, and like you were bound to make it work. You know, I think a lot of people are looking for like a silver bullet, but it sounds to me like you were just looking for all the strategies. You were looking to find off market deals. If you could buy it as a rental, great. If you could then maybe flip it as a wholesale, great. Maybe if you could then partner with someone, that could be an option. So like, at the time, what were you doing to get basically like a footing in the industry? You know, like, was it education? Was it going to meetups? Was it having a mentor? Like anything tactical that maybe again, a beginner listening right now is thinking, all right, I want to take that track. I have a job, I have a deal, or maybe I'm about to have my first deal, but what can I do to give myself a better chance of being able to take off like Evan did?
1: Yeah. Um, I'm going to answer that that question with a with a story, sort of, because it's it's. I, I remember it every single time something like this comes up. When I was at school, I was a junior, and my job on campus, I worked on campus. My job on campus was to essentially manage a database for what Xavier called the Executive Mentor Program, and uh, every business student got a person, a local executive. It could be someone that owns, you know, a lawn care business, or you know, the CEO of Kroger, um, to be there their mentor to kind of show you know here's how I would interview here's how I'd reach out type of jobs I'd apply for yada 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 well one of my mentors he was a uh chief financial officer for a flavor company in Erlinger Kentucky um right next to Cincinnati and Mm -hmm. uh this gentleman told me you know one of his only real piece of advice that I, I I took to heart was you're a college kid you can get away with murder like take as many people out for coffee and beer and whatever else, you know, like you can, if you say, Hey, I'm an undergrad, I don't know what I'm doing. I'd like to pick your brain. You know, a lot of people that have been there and done that like to share that they like to talk about themselves. That's human nature. It's why you and I are on this freaking podcast, right? So uh, I kind of took that to heart. And when I was first getting started, I think I had a dealer or two under my belt. I just nonstop relentlessly, just, just, just uh, a, a colossal amount of time I took just to meet other people. So I know it's difficult for, for you know fathers or people that have super intense high jobs. Obviously, COVID doesn't help. But man, we went to every meetup we could. My brother and I did. Um, it took me all for coffee, beers, drinks, you know, lunch, whatever, every every single week. And met some of the right people at the right time, including the guy that ended up buying our first wholesale deal. So um, that was a big piece of it. But at the same time, you're right. You know, we had a bloodthirst for understanding how this whole thing worked. Um, I worked in again, commercial property tax. So I was learning every day. My, my nine to five was paying me to learn about you know how to underwrite deals, essentially, how to value deals. And my twin brother worked for a hedge fund that underwrote commercial debt from massive retail structures. So he had the debt side of things, kind of figured out in his nine to five as well. So mm. from five to nine or from nine to five, we worked for someone else. And from you know, five to nine, we worked for ourselves and just took what we learned during the day to make it happen, simultaneous to networking and it just kind of works out. You don't have to make some, like you said, there's no real silver bullet. You know, you just do it time over time and it compounds and, you know, eventually look at yourself it's like, you know, crap, I, I, I might know what I'm doing here. All
0: right. I love that story. I talk about that story like, or not story, but strategy a lot on TikTok or on the Facebook group or whatever. Like you have this window of your life from like, you know, anytime before you're maybe 25, not to say that you can't do it after 25, but like people will return your call. People see themselves in a young hustler that's under 25 years old. And they see that person in a way that they want to help that person because they're still trying to figure it out. And maybe they can help kind of shape that person a little bit. Not to say you can't do it when you're 30 years old, but it's definitely a little less exciting reaching out to someone at 30 years old. Like a lot of those older people, you know, this might be a little bit crude, but if someone's 30 reaching out as opposed to 18, they think that person should have it figured out already, you know, right. but the 22 year old may be trying to figure it out. And if they're hungry, you know, they can use that. So I have a very similar experience how I found my first mentor, but it's really cool to hear That's like... Cool you did the exact same thing. We have a young audience that I think can do something very similar to that. So that's just really cool. I mean, with you, man, I could just tell like you were going to make it work. Like you, you kind of have that, whatever it takes mentality. I could just tell, you know, and talking a little before in this and like through Rob, but you know, like that's a hack, man, if you can get around the right people and use your age to kind of get in different rooms that you maybe couldn't when you're older, it just sounds like you made such good use out of that.
1: I mean, I was a sponge, and there were so many things I did for free, and I made a lot of people really rich just by putting in the extra time or, or whatever to, to to get their project across the finish line. But again, you know the 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 connections I took and the advice I got from it, you know, it all it all ended up working out. So, um, yeah, cool. you're you're right. And I I turned 31 in July, so I can totally say this now. But I mean, after you turn 30, it takes. You know, you're uh, it's. Uh, it goes it goes away you know someone who's 30 years old you know have some kids you got like get life figured out you know grow up type situation but man when you're you know recent you know college kid or early twenties whatever like abuse it it's silly not to
0: it's so true I love that man um all right so Evan I wanna I have a bunch of questions I almost want to shift to then kind of more the wholesale business and the the day to day of it and kind of building and scaling systems we have a lot of wholesalers in our group um cool. So from a high level, you kind of explain what wholesaling is, but can you just give it a quick blurb kind of, you know, how you think about it and what it, what it really means in the simplest version. I know you mentioned the dairy farmer. Um, so for someone that doesn't understand wholesaling, what is wholesaling and how do you make money from it?
1: Yeah, great, great question. And I, we get it all the time. So I use the example of uh, you know, a, a cow, right? If someone wants to buy a gallon of milk, they don't go find a cow and then milk it and pasteurize it and put it through the thing and get it FDA approved. No, they go to the grocery store and they buy a gallon of milk. Mm-hmm. Um, same way, if someone wants to buy a house, they're not going to go knock on doors and send postcards and text messages and do the negotiation. No, they're going to get on Zillow.com, click on a house, and send an offer. Right. So wholesalers provide uh, kind of the the, the dirty nitty gritty, um, true organic sourcing of uh, real estate deals for investors. Uh, we do the dirty work. We were the ones sending postcards and uh, advertising online, and the the signs you see on every intersection ever anymore. We buy houses cash. Um, that's what wholesaling is and does. We identify projects for other people so you don't Mm -hmm. have to. So, and we get paid a fee to do it. We've been doing it since 2014 and the the business has gone nuts as the market has.
0: All right. So let's dig into some of the nuts and bolts of it. At the beginning, how were you finding deals and how are you finding deals today?
1: uh i'll talk about today first because honestly i forget how we were finding deals back in 2014 i had no idea what i was doing um we have a my my group uh takes the approach of differentiate yourself at all costs which is ironic because i have an identical twin um but (laughs) do everything different right so we have a, a massive online presence we have a cold call team that we own and operate here out of indianapolis uh that they do all they do is nonstop cold call individuals based on the data we pull but we have our data manager is in house. We have a cold call team in house. We have a, we send outbound SMS text messages here in house. Um, we don't send the traditional letters because it's cheap and anyone can do it. So we want to do things that are a little bit more uh, different. That you know, uh, we'll differentiate ourselves from maybe some of the the new guys trying trying to get in. So um, no offense to the people that are watching, but uh, everyone and their brother is sending letters. So my encouragement would be, uh, if you're going to send a letter, fine, but make it different than the next guy because they're going to get. stack them. How do you set yourself apart? Mm. Um, In 2014, to kind of go back to your previous question, John, that's really all we knew how to do, right? Just send letters and people call you and whatever. And the market was just massively different back then. You know, people didn't get eight letters, they got one. And then they said, oh, this guy wants to buy my house, I'll call him and sell it to him. So again, the market's been our friend, that's that's no secret. We really picked the perfect time to start this whole thing. But um, as the market shifts, your strategy needs to as well. And that's essentially what we've done.
0: Okay. I got gotcha. you. And as far as, you know, like picking um, areas or pulling lists, I assume now you're at the point where you're pretty much, I, I could be wrong, but I assume you're pretty much just buying the whole market, you know, as far as records go and then just hitting it hard. Or are you still a place where you're being more specific with neighborhoods and types of lists you're pulling, um, you know, to start going outbound to?
1: Yeah. So Clay uh, handles a lot of the, uh, uh, Clay, my twin brother, my business partner, handles a lot of the uh, seller identification. I work kind of on the back end, but uh, I do know we've had the entirety of uh, Jefferson County being Louisville and Marion County being Indianapolis records for for a long time, um, mm-hmm. where we can just blast and, and spray as much as we can. But uh, you know, for us, it's it's kind of nature of the beast when you do this for eight years. You know, there are only so many houses in, in Indianapolis to to contact, so you kind of you know aggregate it all by by nature of what you do. But for folks just getting started and maybe trying to give this wholesale thing a shot or maybe just buy and hold guys that want to identify their own deal instead of paying you know, greasy wholesalers like me a fee for doing so. Um, I, my recommendation is pick a, a zip code, pick a census tract, pick a neighborhood where you can really uh, take more of a sniper rifle approach as opposed to a, you know, a Gatling gun of just you know send it all out and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, it gives you a better way to negotiate if you know the streets and houses you know, as, as intimately as you do and the same goes for buyers especially if you're out of state right like if you you can make more educated uh competitive offers if you know everything intimately well as opposed to trying to know indianapolis you know if you can hone in on you know warren township or lawrence township or you know, southern broad ripple where we are here um it goes a, a massive ways with uh, with understanding how that works it makes you more competitive so mm-hmm. uh i feel like i'm rambling now but that's what we did when we were younger we picked a a handful of investors would do exactly what they want. And we went out and found that, uh, not the other way around. We, we we picked the person and found what they wanted as opposed to finding a property and blasting it to everyone else.
0: That's interesting. I haven't heard that approach, but that makes total sense. You know, like you need to be able to sell whatever you find. So you might as well start with what your end buyer wants, which is, you know, pretty logical. Well, um, and in 20,
1: 2014, 2015, it was a lot harder to find a, a buyer maybe than it would be now. But uh that's what we did and again it was just more proof of concept you know oh shit you know you heard those those manship guys they're starting to wholesale too and then you know again it just builds on itself
0: totally it's so true and it's such a collaborative industry so you send out outbound you're cold calling texting maybe you know sprinkling in a little direct mail um yep. and now let's say you're getting you know leads so for you day-to-day now what does your process look like of when the phone starts ringing or people start filling out online forms you know like How are you handling and processing, you know, inbound leads to know one, if they're good deals, if they are good deals, how do you kind of analyze them and move forward with those? Because, you know, it sounds like a good problem, but I think for a lot of people, even when they get leads coming back, it's like an oh shit moment. Like, oh, I got what I wanted, but I don't even know if it's a good deal. I don't know what to do with it. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Man, this business will never surprise. I mean, even folks that have a relatively (laughs) successful business like me, um, there's still the issues we bump into all the time where it's like, now what, right? We'll try something new. Now what? So-and-so's out on vacation. Now, you know, now what? So there are always going to be surprises. And I keep, what, what, what wakes me up every day is like, I'm sure Google, Apple, and all these massive companies have the same thing. Like now what type situation. So it's not mm-hmm. a bad thing so long as it's fixed. And that's what we aim to do as business owners is fix professional, put out fires. So for us, when, when we send outbound stuff, right? Um, we spend X to send things out. We expect X plus Y to come back in. Um, we have a, What we've found to be the most successful is to train people in-house um, to what we call process leads. They're called lead generation specialists. We have six of them downstairs. And all they do all day long is work with our cold call team, which is totally hireable and outsourceable. So when you hear me say cold call team, uh, anyone that's watching this can hire cold callers to call on your behalf. It's extremely easy. There are many, many, many companies that do it. Um, reach out to John or I, we can point you in the right direction. Um, But we have our cold call teams proprietary to us. And then they work with the the cold call team to process the lead, clean it up, polish it up, and make sure it's something that makes sense for our acquisitions guys. Um, Mm -hmm. Where we've found the biggest disconnect is acquisitions or our sales team. The guys who are actually putting pen to paper with the seller expect something worthwhile. And uh, oftentimes they don't know what that is. They can't highlight uh, motivation or pain points or anything that would make a property worth pursuing on our end. So we've essentially put a, a line of people between our acquisitions team and our cold call team that serves a syndicate, uh, which is a fancy word for middleman, to make sure that these people do their job, make sure that the acquisitions guys get what they want. Mm-hmm. So I would, I think, the best way for a starting person to figure this out is. Man, like talk to your buddy about it, figure out if you can uh, partner up on some of these deals, pay, you know, uh, your buddy a percentage of whatever deal closes up um, and make sure they can have uh, an understanding of what's going on and make sure that, you know, you guys all are on the same page of what you're signing up and a.k.a. what you're selling. So uh, Mm -hmm. that's what we do. It works for us. But obviously everyone's got different, different systems. We just we want to make sure that when we go and we talk to the seller, we know exactly what's happening so we can make an educated, differentiated approach to, to getting their property bought.
0: Totally. So that makes that makes complete sense. So I guess just kind of like clicking into that a little bit. So a lead comes in, and you know, hear a lot of people talk about, oh, you want like a, a you know, all the different rules of like calculating ARV or backing into an offer price. Um, you know, at what point do you start thinking about? or your team starts thinking about offer prices, um, relative to, you know, locking a property up or do they need to see it first in order to, to do that? Like, what does, what does that process look like for your business? Cause I know also some people, they never see it. They're making offers sight unseen or they're sending kind of like an inspector out to just take pictures and lock it up. So, you know, you know, what does that look like for you?
1: Uh, my business is going to be a lot different than other folks. Um, when I first started in, the, in this or whatever we had one acquisitions guy and he was doing appointments what we call appointments for every single property. Go out, shake hands, kiss babies, take pictures, let me go back to the office, put together some numbers and we'll send you a, you know, a formalized piece of paper. You know the market is really dependent on how your business should run um, and what you know sacrifices you need to make or not make to, to make something work we started realizing about 2017 that, you know, we didn't want to get beat by folks that could essentially buy from behind a computer. Mm. So we started uh, closing all of our deals over the phone, meaning we'll we'll sign it up. We'll get it locked up, you know, remotely. And then we'll start our process of getting through and, you know, uh, renegotiating if necessary, which we don't like to do, but um, you know, we'll, we'll close 40, 50 deals a month off of strictly just, hi Mr. Seller, how you doing? Negotiate over the phone, send them DocuSign, boom, it's done. And uh, that was simply just a uh, a paradigm shift we had to make because uh, it seems, at least it, for, to me, it seems super, super difficult to do. How the hell are you just going to sign something up over the phone? How are you going to make an educated decision when you can't see it, you know, especially if you're far away, blah, 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 blah. And um, I think much like what you'll find in your disposition side of things, these are my, you know, manship nuggets right here. Yep. Um, as soon as you can get someone emotionally bought in physically to either selling their property or buying a property. You'll have a lot more success actually going through and being a, being a part of that transaction. So if you can get someone to commit to buying or commit to selling, whether you've seen it or not or they've seen it or not, uh, it'll go a super long way.
0: Okay, I got gotcha. you. And one one question we get a lot um, more for virtual wholesalers, but again, local too. It's important, especially someone like you that has systems and a team. You know, like what is the process of? Okay, you get a deal, a lead comes in, you qualify it. They want to sell. It's at a price that you want to buy it. <clears throat> what does the next part of the process look like? And I mean, specifically to the sense of some people they'll send out, you know, uh, an inspector, they'll get a professional inspection done. They'll make that part of their seller report so that when they put it on Facebook or send it to their buyers list, that's the inspection and no one else is going to go see the property. They're not having walkthroughs. They're not doing anything like that. They don't want to disrupt the seller. So what does that look like for you? Or what do you think of that? Uh,
1: selfishly, I think it's a bad idea and I'm- way to shred money um we don't do that uh we we go through it on our own after we have it locked up um you know we let people go through it's a house you know it's uh, we've there there are a handful of guys that do what we do here in, in the market that you know you can't get through highest and best offer bidding war city um you know it is what it is you know what you're buying type deal and a lot of times the people don't know what they're buying especially if they're you know 2,000 miles away and send you know san francisco or something like that um mm-hmm. uh, which we see a lot of here in the midwest a ton of out, outside buyers like i'm sure you guys uh, do just the same um yeah we, we we lock it up over the phone a lot of times it's you know hey mr seller you know i'm glad we could figure that out you know you mind if i keep you on the phone while we send you this sign? i can answer any questions you have about the purchase agreement um just to make sure it's not you know yeah, let me talk to my wife clicked and they go. So you never hear from them again. That's Ooh, smart. Yeah. These guys, these guys are trained to be on the phone while they sign the purchase agreement. And, uh, once they do cool, you know, then we'll go through, uh, get our pictures, our picture guy out there set up and make sure, you know, there wasn't any misinformation with what the, the seller was telling us.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, or if they don't know, then even better, we can go ease that and go, you know, renegotiate what we just agreed to. So, uh, that's how we work. We let anyone who wants to get inside, get inside uh, as many years oftentimes as they want. And I think that goes a long way with brand recognition as opposed to, nope, you know what you're buying. Give me, give me my $50,000 assignment fee and move on. Um, people remember that. And I think when the market corrects, you know, the highest and best people, the uh, uh, bidding war people, and the, you know what you're buying, you're not getting inside your house again. Uh, people remember that. It won't be good.
0: So I, maybe I, I just want to make sure I understand what you mean. So you're saying, what, what, I, what I was asking was, for, for buyers. So like so you hear some wholesalers talking about how once they have a, a property locked up, uh, they will send it out to their buyers list. And then, you know, some sometimes you'll have buyers that want to see the property or do a walkthrough. Um, do you allow, do you do an open house type thing? Do you let them do walkthroughs or is it based on the pictures and the, the, you know, like detail that you can provide about the property for as far as an owner goes? No, I, I totally get what you mean. That would be insane. I feel like if someone wouldn't let their owner. Oh, back into the property. Oh,
1: yeah, yeah. So we, we, yeah, so we, we don't do like an open house type thing. Really, ours is a first come first serve. So if we have, you know, like today, we would deal in a duplex in Louisville that we're selling for, uh, you know, hundred grand or whatever it is. Um, mm-hmm. And it's at four o'clock and we had a handful of folks reach out to want to go through it. You know, we don't want to overwhelm the seller. So we're actually, t- our, our contractors taking the seller out for lunch or dinner or whatever the hell it is, getting her mm-hmm. out of the house while our people go through and do that. thing. we normally don't do a big open house type thing. But if we do, you know, we don't want it to be as shady, as super shady and get people all... Talking and, and, and rock the boat. So, uh, if we need to get a bunch of people through it once, we will, but normally that doesn't happen. It's normally more, more one by one, which is more legwork, but uh, we found <clears it throat> that people like that a little bit more as opposed to getting a horde of people through there. And totally, you know, it just gets weird quick.
0: So, I guess on that note, um, for most of your transactions, are people buying sight unseen, or do most of your buyers want to do a walk through the property or at least get someone there to see it?
1: what we've found that works the best, especially when something's hi- a hyper competitive property, right? Let's see, you know, a brick ranch and a cool school system. You know, someone's gonna lease it out and give it to their kids at some point, right? Everyone's gonna buy this. Um, we'll see that thing so- sell sight unseen and oftentimes, you know, get inspector, an inspector in or whoever in uh, just for uh, informational purposes more than anything else. We wanna make sure what they're buying. We, we, we've sold plenty where folks buy sight unseen and that's it, they, they buy on pictures and it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, it really depends on the property. You know, obviously, if you're talking some big, sexy, you know, urban core redevelopment flip type deal or whatever, people aren't just going to buy things side unseen. It really depends on the property. And I, I would recommend to your listeners that, you know, approach it like that. There shouldn't be a uniform process for every single property. You need to kind of rebucket them for A, B, C, D, E, F, DEF, whatever. Um, you know, if you got some dump in the hood, you know, they're going to want to get through it. You get yeah. some, you know, classic redevelopment, Victorian and old town, you know, Durham or whatever it is. You know, they're going to want to get through it, but Mm -hmm. uh, three, one on a slab and a great school system, brick, good condition. What are we, what are we talking about? You know, it's a house. So for sure uh, that's, that's how we approach it.
0: And what about situations where there are tenants in place? You know, you hear, you you see a lot of different models out there with wholesaling, where people are (laughs) wholesaling almost like turnkey rentals. And that's definitely a different buyer than selling flip properties that, you know, you're basing your kind of value prop off ARV. So, you know, how do you deal with tenants or do you ever target, you know, buyers that are looking for quote unquote turnkey rentals and, you know, use that as kind of a exit strategy?
1: Yeah. So my group handles stuff a little bit differently. We we found that, you know, a lot of folks don't want to buy, they want the turnkey product, the, the turnkey price essentially, right? Um, for those of you who don't understand uh, turnkey, they're listening, they're, we've trained our guys in, in house that there are three different things that people want to buy when they buy investment, real estate, they buy a rental, which is easy to understand. They buy a flip, which is even easier to understand. And there's kind of a weird in between a hybrid of the two, if you will, uh, a rental and a flip called a turnkey property. That means their property's sexy. It's done. It's been rehabbed. There's a tenant inside of it. It's performing, but someone's going to buy not necessarily that house, but that income stream more than they are going to buy the, the, the property. So they want something that's easy, delivered, performing, done, right? Um, we found that folks like that, obviously, who doesn't want something that's already rehabbed and already leased, but you know, oftentimes when turnkey properties sell, they'll sell for 100 to 110% of what the property is actually worth. Mm-hmm. People want a deal, man. That's why we're all in this industry. We want to we get selling for 60, 70 cents on the dollar and uh, so we do a handful of things, including uh, a, a gentleman on, on our staff here is essentially a project manager who we can go through there and offer construction services on behalf of that, uh, on the ha- behalf of that individual to make sure they're buying for 50 cents, putting another 10 cents on the dollar into the property. They're all in for 60, 65 cents. So they feel like they're getting a deal and we're making money at the same time. So um, That's a lot of gobbledygook for, uh, again, find a way to differentiate yourself. We're the only group in the the city that can do that because we've spent and wasted, frankly, a lot of money on having that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But we give people a big button that they can push and proceed with the deal um, and just make it answering questions that exist with, I need to get some on the roof, I need to get a bid, I need to get my inspector, I need to get the sewer scoped. All these different no's, all these different objections, we try to make it as easy as possible for those to go away.
0: I gotcha. Yeah. Just different exit strategies that I feel like the typical wholesaler who has kind of square peg, square hole is not going right. to be able to kind of do or leverage. So that's pretty cool. Um, I guess just, you know, going through the way I was thinking about this, like th- these questions was kind of going through your business, like the step-by-step, how I think about like the four or five main pillars of wholesaling. And then we'll do like a beginner version right after this, if someone's just starting, but kind of just like finishing the, like, you know, your day-to-day, because it's so interesting what you've been able to build up in a short period of time. Like, again, a lot of people listening to this might have a hard time understanding like 22 employees, you know, full-time business doing 500 deals in a year, you know, in maybe seven years, that's pretty insane. So, um, you know, just kind of going through it. So I guess just the last part, you know, last two parts here um, when you're selling a deal, are you, your dispo strategies, your exit strategies, you know, can you talk about that a little bit or, you know, walk us through what that looks like for you?
1: Sure. I'll answer as best I I, I can. and If this isn't what you're looking for, Smack me smack me away and I'll re-answer. We we exclusively wholesale. So we don't hold for ourselves, we don't uh, uh flip any properties, we don't hold any Airbnbs or any, anything at all. Uh I've got my portfolio, my people out here have their portfolios, but every deal that comes via our marketing channels, we wholesale. So we have one exit strategy only. Um now to kind of to what I think you're asking is you know, how do you make that happen? How do you find different people, different buyers, different whatever? Um, kind of like what I said earlier, you know, if you can take your people. You know, everyone is so obsessed with the buyer's list, right? Let me put me on the buyer's list, put me on the buyer's list. And that's a very, again, nothing wrong with it. It works. It's worked for years, but Gatlin gun approach, right? Just spray and pray and find as many people as possible. And one person will raise their hand and buy. For sure. It's great, but it, it doesn't build your brand. It doesn't personally or your company. And uh, really, if you can do well by one or two people, as opposed to, you know, guys you don't know that ended up some VA scraped a list and put them in a buyer's list. Uh, we found that you know if you can offer other services other than just finding a deal, um, it really opens up your breath for people to want to work with you. So we have a hard money, hard money private money uh, shop we work with. We broker loans for. We have a construction service that we offer folks. We have an inspector in house that can go out and, and you know answer questions, things like that. So uh, it's it's obviously when you're just starting out, it's it's tough to do. But I'm telling you right now, any any idiot, anyone with a single digit IQ can. And broker hard money. It's the easiest thing in the world. So if you can find a way to get your people or maybe some you know jerk on the street money to buy your deal, you become that much more marketable. And that's what we've done to really bolster our exit strategies in our department at least.
0: Okay, gotcha. I'm glad you prefaced with that. And then I guess just, you know, some of the the like tactical stuff. Is it still mostly dependent on a buyer's list or are you guys putting your deals on Facebook? Are you guys you know, calling back through people that you think may be interested. You know, like uh, just curious. You know, the the tactics yeah. that you guys use.
1: Yeah, so uh, we have a guy on staff, uh, Luke, who runs our dispositions or our sales. Uh, so he's responsible for all this stuff, right? I don't look at it, approve it, nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, he does everything, and Luke gets compensated to identify new buyers. So if Luke uses the list, he's driving off the lunch right now, Luke. Uh, uses the list that uh, I put together, my buyer's list, what my company started with. That's fine. He doesn't get as much of, of his commission as he otherwise would if he goes out and hunts someone new. So I tell everyone, you know, you're only as good as, as the, the the brand you're building, the list you're building. Um, you know, status quo is the, we're our worst enemy here. Mm-hmm. So uh, taking the same people, spray and pray, maybe adding to them every couple of months, it's not going to get you anywhere. So we are constantly hosting events, networking things, meeting new people, adding new folks, to the point now we're about 40, just shy of 40% of our deals make it to our true buyers list. Mm -hmm. And the other 60% are just the squeaky wheels that show up at the office, show up at networking events. Or we just know from working with them so frequently that this is what they're looking for. And we can just plug and play that quickly.
0: I saw something sort of interesting this week. I'm curious what your take on it is, Um, like an additional income stream for wholesalers what they had was you, they have two sets of lists. They have like their premier buyers list and then they have their like tier two and they charge, the people, to be, they charge people to be on their tier one, you know, like right. a subscription plan, whatever it is, maybe like 49 a month. And yep. I couldn't tell if I thought it was genius or scum, but I just thought it was interesting. <laughs> and, you know, like in a world where everyone's looking for a deal, I'm sure there is a market for that. But how do you think about something like that? Like, what was your, your knee jerk reaction just hearing that? I
1: would be lying through my teeth if I said we hadn't thought of something like that. I think every, it, I'm, a, I'm a dirty, greedy Republican capitalist, man, <laughs> if that's what, I'm, that's what I'm all about. So, you know, we think about that stuff all the time. How can we kind of put ancillary income streams into this thing? And uh, I put an, I, I nipped it in the butt, uh, you know, a couple couple months ago because I, I, in my opinion, that, that that screams much like the folks that, you know, we're going to take our offers and we're going to take, you know, all we're going to get well, everyone, everyone through once and we're going to like take all the offers and bid them against each other. You know, it just—it's—it's it's poor form when the market corrects. You know what I mean? You're gonna have a ton of people unsubscribing when the market tanks, and then you're just gonna be that asshole that charged me fifty bucks to get deals for everyone else. So, totally. Um, I might be wrong. I might be right. I don't know. I just—I want to be the guy that, whether it's 2008 or today, that people can look to and say, man, you know, Manship did me right. And did he could he, you know did he punt on maybe another five grand over you know ten grand, twenty grand, twenty grand over ten years is nothing. So, uh, and I encourage everyone to think that way. You now if you're going to be a successful real estate investor, successful wholesaler, you know, again, this is just my opinion. I could be very wrong, but 20 grand over 10 years to me is not a lot of money. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I would encourage that, you know, what you're losing an opportunity cost by just, you know, screw, screwing some people might be worth a little bit more than that. So Probably no, it would be the short answer to your question. I love the idea. I'm glad people are doing it, but we won't be one.
0: I gotcha. All right. And just kind of rounding out, like going through the line of questions for your wholesale process. Um, I feel like this in a good way may be hard for you to answer because at this point now, I feel like you're really good at building systems and you've put people in place to be successful, but um, any tools or softwares or systems that you use in your business every day that, you know, you recommend, or they basically drive the business to make things work? Yeah. Uh,
1: that's a great question uh really good question especially for you folks who are just you know you've done a couple deals and now you need to start putting some things together to make it easier for you to communicate um we were on a, a product called podio and certainly everyone's heard about it. anyone that's watched any youtube videos was on it. we were on that for uh years and years and it's a great starter product there's a gentleman named don tilling uh that has a product called beast mode it's a nice little interface it's built out specifically for folks that are you know, on the lower end of the, the, the real estate wholesaling totem pole. So Don, I talked to him yesterday. I told him Manship sent you. It's a great product for folks first getting started. Now, uh, as soon as you start pushing 40, 50 deals a month and you have these extremely automated, you know, follow-up processes and it becomes a little more cumbersome, uh, we're on Salesforce, uh, which is a massive CRM based out of San Francisco and now here in Indy, um, but they're kick-ass. And they, they are uh, comparing, you know, A three-year-old t-ball to the New York Yankees uh, from Podio and Salesforce uh, uh, concern. So uh, when you get to that point, uh, if you feel like, uh, you know, forking out 30 grand, 40 grand a year for, for Salesforce, do it. But until that point, um, Podio is going to be your best friend.
0: I hear that a hundred percent. I mean, you know, there's so many different ways to do it, but that just seems to be kind of the industry, you know, norm for a reason. So um, Evan, you handled the uh, line of interrogation on your business. Awesome. Um, What I'd love to do next before we get out of here is kind of go through the starter version of it. You know, like if, if you, we 21 again or 18 again, you know, the person that either didn't go to college or did go to college, it does not matter, especially if you yep. want to do real estate wholesaling. But yep. let's say, you know, you lose everything money-wise this, this won't happen, but let's say, you know, you're starting over, you got 500 bucks and you're maybe living with your parents and you're like, I want to rebuild this business and I want to grow it as quick as I can, as smart as I can, knowing what I know now, what would your first couple moves be?
1: Uh, Awesome question. And I, I, I was there, man. I, I didn't start with 500 bucks. I started with, you know, negative 120,000. So fuck, I, I'd kill somebody for 500 bucks. Uh, I live with my parents, man. I'm my father's now uh, one of our 22 folks here in the office and it uh, uh, gives me goosebumps still to tell a story, man. But like, I didn't grow up with anything. I was poor and never. My, my mom's a teacher. And my dad was some pencil pusher for a massive company here in Indy. And uh, I live with my parents. They were gracious enough to let me let me live there. And I, didn't see it as sponging off them or, you know, not cool or anything like that. It was just, I got to get a good relationship with my folks and I live with my parents. That's the first thing I would do just to combat the biggest cost you have. Mm. Um, if you can't do that or aren't fortunate enough to do that, that's fine, but you gotta, you gotta be humble enough to just hang up the cleats and say, you know, what's more important, you know, do you want to live in some kick-ass part of town, um, go out for drinks and, and, and do that type of thing? Or do you just wanna, you know, uh, shelf, you know, 10,000 hours of your life for, you know, the next, you know, 100 years, essentially. So that's what I did uh, and it worked out for me, but I lived with mom and dad and I subsequently bought uh, a house hack. So for you uh, beginners, I'd strongly consider looking into what house hacking is, um, buying a multifamily property, um, less than four units and living in one and leasing out the others. It combats your mortgage payment to the point where you have no outflow for your housing and you're building equity simultaneously. So um, really neat thing. That's what I worked, I worked out really well for me. But as far as wholesaling specifically goes, or getting involved in deals specifically. Uh, One of the other couple guys I I, I met from just existing uh, was a gentleman named Larry Mitchell. He was the president of the Metropolitan Indianapolis Board of Realtors. Um, I just approached him after some event like, hey, you're awesome. I'm poor. I don't know anything. Can you teach me some stuff? And he's like, yeah. And he said, you know, when you're 21 or uh, 81, you know, you have to kind of look at yourself in the mirror every day and understand where you stand on the three T's. Everyone's got some dumb, I feel like an old man saying that's got some dumb acronym or something, but this one actually hit home with me. And the three T's time, treasury, talent.
0: Mm. Uh,
1: Understand where you fit in, what you can, uh, every deal, every project, every business needs those three things. Where do you fit in? And when you're 21 and you got 500 bucks, obviously you have no freaking treasury, right? You got $500, it's nothing. Um, But you have a whole lot of time. You can put in the time. You can go run these errands. You can go check out these things. You can check on properties that exist, go network, blah, blah, blah. So. And you obviously, no offense, have no talent. So you have no treasury, have no talent. We get all the time in the world. So exist and use that one T that you have access to and just pour gasoline on it, man. Exist, be a sponge, meet these people, hang out, run errands for them, pick up your freaking phone. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't need to start sending mailers right away or jumping to texting or anything goofy, but just exist, be a sponge, use that T that is time uh, so you can build up your other one's treasury and talent simultaneously.
0: Yeah, so true. I mean, the the after talking to so many people on this and, you know, uh, and and doing it myself and just kind of thinking through all the different ways you could do it, like getting around the right people. It's so trite. It's so cliche, but like, it's the hack. Like if you're 18 years old and you can bring someone value or pay them to get around them and learn what they've taken 15 years to learn, like, That is the hack. Like, you don't need to make money in your first year, two, three years. Like, it doesn't matter. It'll compound, it'll grow. But, like, the experience and the knowledge and taking that sponge mentality that I remember you were mentioning earlier, like, that is it. Now, that's hard for a lot of people to hear that in kind of entitled 2021 America, people come out of college and think they deserve to be making 150 grand. You know, they're in for a rude awakening when, you know, they get to the marketplace. But, like, you know, right. that is, is the thing, like just such a common theme of this podcast. So it's just so refreshing to kind of, kind of hear you say that. So,
1: well, and, and man, I was there, like I was there and I remember thinking out loud, and like much like you were, you know, like, oh, go put in the times, go put in the times, go put in the time. It's like, man, I'm not making any money. You know what I mean? Like, what? why am I going to continue to do this? I can see no direct fruits from labor. And especially in this industry, man, uh, if you're 18, 20 years old, uh, even like you said, I agree sub 25. And you can just put one foot forward. That is the foot forward that you need. So you can pedal a bike to a meetup and exist there and that will build your net worth. You won't see it, but that's going to be it. I, I, I can't say that loudly uh, enough. And uh, again, it worked for me, obviously it's worked for you. So I'm hoping that, that if there's one takeaway from this whole thing, time, treasury talent, everyone here has got the time. Um, I'm getting ready to be a dad in three hours. So uh that three hours, depends on how, depends on this goes. A couple days. Oh my God. Yeah, I know, I know, I know. Uh, so I may not have the time, but man, if you're 20 years old, 25 years old, if you have the time, just make it.
0: That's amazing. Evan, uh, this has been so fun, man. And, and I got a, Rob has, has delivered again with another great uh, introduction, man. <laughs> man. Rob Bergeron, friend of the me. podcast. So uh, Evan, just, just uh, before we get you out here, what's the best way for people to learn about what you're doing, get in touch, check out your deals, maybe be on your buyer's list, all that.
1: Uh, I'll give the, the thanks for again for having me man thanks for uh, shouting up let me let me shout stuff out uh, we're super easy to find and we're the most boring vanilla steady Eddie hillbillies in the world man Indianapolis is the most boring city in the world and we like it that way so uh, we're super easy to find mainstay property group is my group at uh, mainstay pg on twitter facebook instagram all that jazz um Super. Uh, tick TikTok too, by the way. Up up on TikTok now, which is terrific. We got a um, collab
0: on TikTok. We got We should do some live content. You know, maybe some Instagram should. or TikTok or whatever. I'll, I'll you know, regardless. But okay. Yeah, so should. is it all the? Okay. It's all the business name on all those, or is it your name too?
1: It's, it's if user if user's mainstay say Indianapolis, it'll pop up. uh okay. Feel free to follow me personally, but the, the company is really what gets it all done. Okay. um And really, we have. If you ever find yourself in Indianapolis, we have a couple of network network events every month. Uh, in fact, on Friday, we had a, a something called Food Truck Friday, where we have a couple of food trucks in our parking lot show up and it's just free beer, free food for everyone to get awesome. together and network because we believe so strongly in time, not just for other folks, but for us too. You know, we had someone bring us a deal, us an 18-year-old kid. I don't just make this up, Casey, bring us a deal. Um, you heard about Food Truck Friday, just the same. So it works for me, it works for you. Uh, find yourself in Indianapolis, swing by the office. We'd love to uh, buy a drink if you're 21 or coffee, if not, and hang out
0: all right bro that sounds great man we'll link all that and uh thank you again for coming on man this was so fun and we'll make sure that people uh find you if they get out to indie or find you on tiktok now all right
1: that's right i love that if you can't find us on tiktok it's john's fault you heard him say it
0: uh, all right bro appreciate it Thanks all for right
1: time.
0: hey you millennial millionaire are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals if so Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber@outlook.com.